It's an honor for me to be here today. I particularly, I have such great uh, memories of Texas. I served for seven or eight years as pastor of Memorial Drive Presbyterian in Houston, Texas. So it's great to be back in the great state of Texas, particularly when UT won a football game last night. Woohoo! Hook them horns. It's great. They haven't been so good lately, so I wanted to, I wanted to plug it when they won. Uh, I also want to say what a joy it is for me to be here. Thomas Daniel is a dear friend, and I just want to say, you know, you may have um, in your profession, medicine, art, music, whatever, uh, people who you think are some of the finest in your profession. Well, in the Christian ministry, in the world of preachers, Thomas Daniel is known as one of the very best. And uh, I just want you to know how joyful I am that he's here. He loves it here. He and Beth and their family are so happy here. It's a joy for me to see him blossoming. And you know, I think, that you have one of the finest preachers in, the, in America. So I know how blessed you are to have him. But Thomas, you have got to pay me more for these compliments. I mean, you can't keep giving me, you know, anyway, I can't keep doing this for nothing. Anyway, it's a joy for me to be here. Would you take your scripture out of your um, packet this morning? There's two passages here. You know, if we lived out these scriptures, we would be different and we'd have a different world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 18. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always, always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice he didn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then secondly is Matthew 6, 22 and 23. And I wonder if you would read that with me. Let's read it together. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we didn't come to hear a human word, but your word. So I pray that every child, teenager, and adult who hears this message might not leave as we came, but that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that everyone who's come would hear a message tailor-made for their needs. To that end, may these words really, O oh God, be your words. And we know they will, for we pray with anticipation and boldness. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ. And may all God's people say, amen. Think about what Jesus said just for a moment. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye's healthy, your whole body is full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So the year was 1942, and a man named Eddie Rickenbacker was a Navy captain. It was World War II, and Eddie Rickenbacker was taking supplies and a message to Douglas, Mac Douglas MacArthur, who was a general in that war. He was flying an airplane. Um, it was called the, the, the Flying Fortress. And he and his crew of eight people, including himself, flew all over, but they were flying to give uh, supplies to MacArthur. They got over the sea, and inexplicably, 
the plane went down in the middle of the ocean. And really, Eddie Rickenbacker thought they would all be killed. But they not only crashed into the ocean, but miraculously, they all survived. But then once they realized everyone was alive and they, they, they put up their, their um, flotation devices to float on, their little rafts, and they got out in the middle of the ocean, they realized now they had to face the sun and the salt water and sharks and hunger and raw fear. Eddie Rickenbacker thought they would be killed, but now he's praying for a miracle that somehow they can survive amid these conditions. And it was so interesting. There they are. They're floating out there together. He's trying to think about what he's going to do. And he said to all of his people that they should focus on God and they should focus on one another, how they can help one another. Because he said, if any one of us gets in trouble, and we might want to commit suicide, actually, because things are so bad out here. But we've got to stick together. We've got to focus on God, and we've got to focus on one another. And yet it was a miracle that they had, they had materials and food for some days. But in the eighth day, when they ran out of food, he felt a seagull land on his baseball cap that he had to protect him from the sun. And he reached up very carefully. He didn't want to bother the seagull. didn't want to fly away. He lifts up very carefully. He grabbed the seagull, and he killed it, and he ate it, and the other men ate parts of it. They had him left for a meal. But then the miracle happened. He put that seagull's intestines out into the water, and all these fish started to come toward him, and they had enough food to survive for 24 days in the middle of the ocean. 24 days they survived. And the men who were in his crew said, Eddie Rickenbacker never gave up hope. You know why? He had a healthy eye. The word healthy in healthy eye means an open eye, a generous eye. An eye that sees people and circumstances and says, you know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Something good may come here. It's an eye that sees possibilities. It's contrasted by an unhealthy eye, which is a narrow eye, a grudging eye, an eye that says, I've seen that kind of person before. I've seen that kind of circumstance before. Nothing good's going to come out of that. An unhealthy eye is a narrow eye, a closed eye. And a healthy eye is an open eye, a generous eye, gives people and circumstances the benefit of the doubt. Eddie Rickenbacker had a generous eye, and he said to the men with him, you've got to focus on God, and we've got to focus on one another, because if we don't, we're going to be destroyed, we're going to fall victim to these circumstances. And they all survived. It was a miracle. You know, today's one of those Sundays when I wish I didn't have to stand up here in front of you. I'd really rather put all the lights on and break you into small groups and, and ask you a few questions. Because the thing I'd want to ask you is, do you have a healthy eye or do you have an unhealthy eye? And I'd even more personally like to ask you if I could take a walk with you around, around Covenant's campus, around the city of Austin, and I love the city of Austin. I'd love to take a walk with you, have a cup of coffee, because I'd like to ask you even more personally, where are you in your life facing difficult circumstances? There are some kids and children here today. And I'm a grandfather. I have seven grandchildren. But I know the hardest time in the school day of a child or a teenager is lunch. It's not easy to go into the lunchroom and sometimes wonder, do I belong anywhere? Do I fit anywhere? I wonder if there's anybody here, any, any kid or teenager or, or young person, who's really facing, uh, am I belong? Do I belong to anybody? Am I in or am I out? It's what a lot, of, a lot of kids are asking. And I've talked to lots of kids about this. 
And I wonder if there's any parent here who's struggling in your marriage or in a relationship at the office or with your boss. Unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here who's struggling with illness or maybe your grandparents or your parents or somebody you know and love has an illness and it's not easy. And if you're facing a family that's had Alzheimer's in the family, it is tough. And unless I miss my guess, there's people here who are friends of Bill Wilson. They're in Alcoholics Anonymous. They've battled drug dependency, they've battled chemical dependency, they've battled opioid dependency. And unless I miss my guess, there's people here who struggled with that. And unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here who's going to have a vacant chair at your Thanksgiving dinner table. Maybe you've gone through a divorce or you're estranged from somebody who used to be there. Maybe your dad died or your mother died or a sibling died or a child died. And they would have been there. And they're not going to be there. So how do you have a healthy eye in the midst of very challenging circumstances? How do you have a generous eye, an open eye, to see God's possibilities even in the midst of a very challenging time in your own life? I've got to tell you, the last three weeks for me have not been easy weeks. I've been challenged to the core of my being. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the six-time Super Bowl champion Steelers. I had to get that in there somewhere. But I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I love Pittsburgh. I lived in a town called Mount Lebanon. It wasn't far from Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania, where just a couple weeks ago, someone went into a Jewish synagogue and shot people, indiscriminately killed people. One of my best friends in high school is a guy named John Stein. He grew up to be a Jewish rabbi. He's a rabbi in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania today. I've talked to John. He is devastated trying to figure out how can he help his congregation in the midst of this terrible tragedy, and then wondering, are they going to be next? And every Sabbath day, when they worship on a Friday night or a Saturday for Shabbat, they wonder, is a gunman going to come in our door? It is terrifying for them. And think about living with that. And that's been hard for me to think about. My family, my wife and I, just moved to Los Angeles, California. We wanted to be near our son, daughter-in-law, and our three grandchildren. But we, one of our best friends lives in Thousand Oaks. And they live within a mile of that country western bar where a couple weeks ago somebody came in and shot people in the bar and there was a young man who was talking to a beautiful girl at the cash register and he was kind of flirting with her and she was flirting with him and then he went and talked to other people and he said that then the gunman came in and shot this girl at the cash register and killed her and he was just talking to her. How do you go on? How do you have a generous, healthy eye in the midst of all this? And, and it's been not easy for me and, and frankly... We live in Los Angeles, and there's all these fires going on. There are 1,000 missing people in the area of Southern and Northern California, 1,000 missing people. In this era of cell phones, that is a worry. Because if they were alive and their cell phone wasn't burned, they'd be able to call somebody. So the fact that 1,000 people are missing is tragic. And I know a congregation, Brentwood Presbyterian Church, and within a stone's throw of that church over in Malibu, people in their church have had their home burned up and their cars burned up, and they've lost all their belonging, all their clothing, all their memorabilia. They've lost everything. And then one of my dearest friends I went to seminary with, I was studying to be a minister, and he was in my class, and we were good friends, and, and he died last week, and the memorial service was yesterday, and I'm thinking, gosh, how do you deal with all these things? But, but remember what Eddie Rickenbacker said. Remember what Jesus said. The eye is the lamp of the body. Rickenbacker was saying, focus on God and focus on what you can do for other people. So no matter what circumstances you're facing today, 
be very sure every one of us someday is going to face something very challenging, something that's going to knock us to the core of our being. So the question is, can we focus on God? When you focus on God, first of all, God changes your perspective. God gives you a whole different world. Madeline Lengel, an author, says, people have a point of view, but God's got view. God's got the big picture. Let that sink in a minute. God sees the view, the big picture. I learned this when I was a pastor in New York City. I used to love to have lunch at the MetLife building on Park Avenue. Maybe you visited there. Maybe you've been there. It's a great restaurant at the top of the, the MetLife building. And from, from that restaurant, you can see way down Park Avenue. It's terrific. I was going for lunch one day with a businessman, and, and he was a little bit late, so I was looking down Park Avenue. And I could see this. You could see forever, it seemed like, on Park Avenue. And I heard all these horns barking. They were honking at one another. And the taxi cab drivers. And I noticed there were so many taxi cabs. I counted them. There were 88 traffic cabs lined up all the way down Park Avenue. I wondered, what is going on? And then I saw a moving van was over there. Moving in, took two of the lanes. And then all the cars, the left-hand lane was turning left. So all these five lanes of traffic were funneling into about two lanes, one and a half lanes. And the traffic, the cab drivers were mad. And they're expressing their anger at the car in front of them, they had a view, point of view. They were looking at the point of view. They wanted Park Avenue. They were going to get Park Avenue. And they're going, eh, 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 And they're rolling down the window. They're yelling at each other, screaming at each other. I heard a lot of religious language up there in <laughs> Park Avenue. And I'm, I'm listening to all this. And they're yelling and screaming at one another. And all of a sudden, I looked over one block. And it was Madison Avenue, one block to the west. And I thought, oh, Madison Avenue isn't really very crowded. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Sometimes when I face difficult circumstances, I sometimes get mad at God. And sometimes I get mad at life. And sometimes I just get mad at myself or the people around me. And I say, I want Park Avenue. Eh, eh, eh. I want to get Park Avenue. God, I want you to give me Park Avenue. And I want Park Avenue right now. And God sometimes says to me, Tool, just relax, man you got to go over to Madison Avenue. Go over to Madison one block and take Madison Avenue. You're going to have better sailing on Madison. Maybe later on you'll come back to Park Avenue. But right now you may be going to Madison. But I say, no, no, no. I want Park Avenue. I'm going to get Park Avenue. I want what I want. And I want you to give it to me right now. And God says, Tool, go over to Madison. I'm telling you, man, just relax. Anybody see a sermon in this somewhere? You relate to this at all, that sometimes we want our way and we miss God's way. Sometimes in the midst of stress and tragedy and difficulty and challenge, we want what we want when we want it. And God says, if I were to give you that right now, it wouldn't be good for you. You have a point of view, a small little point of view. I'm way atop the MetLife building. I'm the transcendent God of the universe. I see everything. I can see view. I can see the big picture. I can see how it all fits together. So sometimes in your life, you've got to take a detour to get back on the road God wants you to take. Focus on God, and you have a new perspective in your life. There was a man who discovered this in, in 1636, a man named Martin Rinkert. He wrote a song called, Now Thank We All Our God. But let me tell you the circumstances of it. Martin Rinkert is a Lutheran minister. He was 31 years old. And he was assigned to the Lutheran church in Eilenburg, Germany during the Thirty Years' War. 
You may have studied that in history. People were shooting one another, killing one another. Eilenburg, Germany was a walled city. So they brought all these people who had shot, they brought them into Eilenburg to recover. And they gave them medicine and so forth. But because there was so much infection, the infection started to spread. And it spread, and it spread. And then came to Eilenburg, Germany, the plague. And you talk about a fire, a wildfire in California, all the fires that are raging out there. It was like a fire. It spread like wildfire. Infection spread like wildfire. All these, these infections and diseases like a poison, it infected the people. And it is not hyperbole to say that thousands and thousands and tens of thousands died. So here's Martin Rinkert comes in as the new minister of the Lutheran Church in Eilenburg, Germany. And he's averaging 40 to 50 funerals a day. All these people are being killed. So he said in his sermons on Sunday, folks, the only thing we can focus on is God. We can't focus on our loved ones who died. We can't focus on the tragedy. We can't focus on the question of theodicy. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? We can't focus on that. We just have to focus on God and God's nature and praise God and thank God because God has view. We have a point of view, but, but God's got the big picture. We've got to focus on God. We've got to be comforted by God. And we've got to be the presence of Jesus for one another. If we're learning lessons through a loved one's death, if we're being comforted, we've got to comfort others with the same comfort with which we're comforted. And it was an amazing thing. And then he wrote a hymn, Martin Rinkert, in 1636, a hymn called, a song called, Now Thank We All Our God, with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way, with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. He wrote a hymn about thanksgiving to God, praising God, even when life is perplexing, even when we don't understand it, even when tragedy comes, even when difficulty comes, even when we feel left out, even when we have no answers. Just remember that the power of Almighty God is with us. He wrote, now thank we all our God, in the midst of these terribly tragic circumstances because he had a healthy eye. His eye was focused on God. Do you have a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye? See, the other thing we're supposed to focus on, Eddie Rickenbacker said, and, and the Apostle Paul says, and Jesus says, if you have a healthy eye, you focus only on God, but focus on what you can do for someone else. Focus on how you can be the presence of God for someone else. Because there may be somebody at your Thanksgiving dinner table this Thursday, and they need a word from God. They, they need a word of encouragement, a word of hope a word of love, and, and you might be the one to give it to them. But if you have an unhealthy eye and you've written them off, oh, they're my crazy uncle, or oh, they're my grandmother. But if you see that person as a person of dignity and worth, as we were singing about a little bit ago, that they're children of God, we might say, I wonder how I can bless them. I wonder how I can serve them. So this Thursday, November the 22nd, 2018, we're going to be seeing on the internet all this week, as soon as it's coming up, some of it's already been out there, that 55 years ago, this Thursday, John F. Kennedy, the President of the United States, was assassinated. Some of us were alive when Kennedy was assassinated. We remember where we were. But, but if you've read it in history, you know about it. It's going to come up there. But many don't know that November the 22nd, 1963, a man named C.S. Lewis also died. C.S. Lewis was a great apologist, a great Christian leader, great Christian teacher, wrote Mere Christianity. Kennedy said, as not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He's known for that. 
But C.S. Lewis, one of the great things he said is, always take every opportunity to be a servant, to serve other people. And the word that he used in his book, which really hit me when I read it, was the word for servant is therapon, T-H-E-R-A-P-O-N. It's a Greek word, therapon, meaning servant. Do you see in that word the word therapy? That the best therapy is to serve somebody else, to think about somebody else, to give away God's love to others. This is the basis of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've talked to several people this morning in this church and every, everywhere I go, I meet people who are battling alcoholism, drug dependency, and it's alcoholics and it's these little support groups that gather together to pray for one another and support one another that's life-giving for an alcoholic. It's the way we give away God's love to others. So we are therapon, we are servants. It is the best therapy when you give away God's love to others. So C.S. Lewis started a group, because he was sometimes discouraged and depressed, called the Inklings. It was a little group for writers who were having struggling with their writing. And they would read little snippets of what they're writing and share it with one another. Well, one, one uh, Sunday night, a young man came and shared what he was writing. And this young man uh, read it. He was a children's writer, and he was just writing a little children's story. And he read it, and you could have heard a pin drop in the room. And when he finished, C.S. Lewis said, now that is brilliant. The young man said, no, 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 it's just a children's story. And Lewis said, no, no, it's not a children's story. This is a story that can be read at all levels. Adults can read it, senior citizens, everybody can read it. This is a brilliant, it's got to be published. I'm going to call my publisher, I'm going to set up a meeting, we're going to publish that. He said, no, 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 it's not finished. And besides, it's just a little children's story. Lewis said, it's brilliant, it's going to be published. And his publisher published it. And in the introduction to that book, this writer wrote, it was only from C.S. Lewis that I learned that my stuff, my writing was any good. I didn't know I was a writer. C.S. Lewis was a servant leader, and he served me, and he loved me, and he cared for me. He represented the presence of God in my life, and I published this book. By the way, that young man's name was J.R.R. Tolkien, and what he was writing was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. See, J.R.R. Tolkien needed C.S. Lewis to unlock the works that were within him. You may hold the key to unlock the door of a kid in your high school. You may unlock the door and some of the keys that have the key that unlocks the door of somebody in your junior high or, or in your youth group or in your operation, your corporation, your law firm, your neighborhood. You may have the key to unlock somebody at your table. We need one another. We're on the face of the earth to incarnate God's love to one another. Martin Rinkert said it in Eilenburg, Germany, we are to be the love of God, the face of God to one another we got to focus on God and then focus on what we can do for other people. And here's the interesting point of that story, that J.R.R. Tolkien introduced C.S. Lewis to a personal daily walk with Jesus. Lewis was a skeptic. He was a great writer, he was a brilliant mind, but he had real battles with doubts. It was only when, when J.R.R. Tolkien introduced him to a personal walk with Jesus Christ that he developed a personal relationship with Jesus he was a theologian, a great mind, but he developed this personal walk with God. So he introduced Tolkien to writing, and Tolkien introduced him to a personal walk with Jesus. What do you have to give to one another? It's in this great small group ministry in your church where we share with one another, and we lead one another, and we give away God's love to each other. So, on a Friday night down in South Florida, there's a man who walks down the pier, and he's got a bucket full of shrimp, and a loaf of bread, and a heart full of thanks. 
and his name is Eddie Rickenbacker, the captain. And every Friday night he does is he takes the shrimp and he starts to, he holds it way up in the, in the air and he takes the bread, he starts to throw it up in the air and the sky gets black. It's covered with all these seagulls who are way up there crowding the skies. And then when he puts that bucket full of shrimp down, all the shrimp, whoosh, they come down and they eat it and they gobble it up. And then Eddie Rickenbacker raises his hands in thanksgiving to God and to the universe and to seagulls for using an unexpected thing like a seagull to save his life. But the reason he could see it is he had healthy eyes. So I want to ask you this Thanksgiving week, Covenant Presbyterian Church, do you have a healthy eye or do you have an unhealthy eye? The choice is up to every one of us. Will you pray with me? Lord, in the midst of tough times, like we're having in our nation, amid tough times with people who are battling alcoholism or drug addiction, in the midst of tough times like kids who sometimes feel out of it at school, in the midst of tough times like people who are battling drug addiction and illness and Alzheimer's and death, we pray that you would give to us healthy eyes so that we could focus on Jesus, so that we could see what you are doing, O oh God, in this broken world. And most of all, O oh God, can we not only have healthy eyes ourselves to focus on you, but may we focus on the people you bring our way this week so that we might radiate and incarnate the presence of Jesus in their lives. All this we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And may all the people who want to have a healthy eye say, Amen.